I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Lamentations, chapter 1. I don't have a lot of time this morning, but I do want to get into a series that we are starting today and will take us through the entire month of February, and it's titled, Lord, Give Us Eyes to See. And it is based on the idea that one of the most important things that you and I as followers of Christ can have, not only to walk as we should, but to walk in right relationship with Him, is what we call discernment. Everybody say discernment. Discernment is a quality that involves not only an awareness of truth, but an awareness of God's will for you and I's lives. So that once we, as we are aware of God's will, as we are aware of God's purposes, we are aware of God's plan for us, that we're also then able to live out the calling that He has placed in our lives. It is, it is important that we understand this morning that God didn't just create you and I and then just set us on the earth and then leave us to fend for ourselves or to try to figure out what we are here for. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. God has a plan for every single one of us. And it is important for us to come to an awareness of what that purpose and plan is so that we're not, uh, we're not chasing straws as a word, but that we are walking with purpose we're walking with determination. We're walking with a sense of calling which God has placed in our lives. Before I read the scripture this morning, I want to share with you a quick story. Um, it's about a young man named J- Jason Grisham of Clarksville, Indiana, who by all accounts, according to reports, should not be alive. After his attempt to scale a, an electrical tower resulted in 69,000 volts of electricity coursing through his body. And despite suffering burns to his chest and having, and this part I had to chuckle, thank God he's alive, but I had to chuckle, his pants literally exploded. (laughs) This man was admitted to the hospital in not critical condition, but in good condition. 69,000 volts course through your body and you live to tell about it. That is the grace and mercy of God, do you agree? Because this man should have been dead. But what makes this story so intriguing is the fact that Mr. Grisham got himself in this predicament. It was no accident at all. In fact, what happened was there was a seven-foot-tall fence that was topped with barbed wire that surrounded this electrical tower. A spokesperson for the electrical company said that the exact location where Mr. Grisham was seen on surveillance camera climbing over the fence had a sign that was visible for all to see, and it said, danger, high voltage. So it's not that Mr. Grisham thought, oh, an electrical tower, it might be fun to go climb it. He saw a sign that warned him clearly, do not cross this barrier, because if you do so, you are putting your life at risk. And yet what is clear in this situation is that Mr. Grisham did not think that this warning was something he needed to take seriously. There is an African proverb, and I'm not sure what part of Africa it comes from, um, so I guess the whole continent can take credit for this, but it says that a dog that wants to go astray refuses to heed the sound of the hunter's whistle. The key word is that wants to go astray. In other words, those who exercise a willingness or willful choice to disregard instruction that has been given for their own safety are in a sense putting themselves in harm's way. In other words, brothers and sisters, it is a foolish thing to ignore warning signs. It is a foolish thing to ignore warnings, to ignore encouragement, to do the right thing. Uh, because again, the, you know, I think, I think sometimes people just have this mentality that even if something happened to somebody else, it's not gonna happen to me. 
You know, others made bad decisions, bad choices. Uh, you know, were living, you know, unproductive lives. And, and we saw the outcome of their decisions. And we think if we do the same, what happened is not going to happen to us. It is foolishness. And the Bible speaks over and over and over again about the importance of heeding the warnings that God has made available to us in His Word. In the scripture we're going to look at this morning, the same could be said about the people of Judah. At this point, the nation of Israel has been split into two. This was the same united nation that David ruled, Solomon ruled, but when Solomon died, this nation was split. Civil war took place. Ten of the tribes moved, banded together to form what was known as Israel. The other two tribes banded together to, know what was, to form what was known as Judah. And the nation of Judah, just like it was with the nation of Israel, uh, received numerous warnings from the Lord about their waywardness, about their rebellion, about their disobedience, about their wanting to be like the pagan nations, the unbelieving, ungodly nations that surrounded them. And, and God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to warn his people and for whatever reason, they would maybe for a time would listen, would turn around, turn their ways. And then at some point, they would go back to what they were doing before. And God would bring judgment. And then uh, the people would cry to God for mercy. Forgive us, God. We messed up. We shouldn't have done what we did. We are wrong. We accept our guilt. And God, we just want you to forgive us. We want things to be better again. And God would forgive. And God would restore. But then it became this cycle of, of walking with the Lord and then walking in disobedience and walking with the Lord. And the entire time, God is warning them that as long as they continue in this cycle of disobedience, of rebellion, that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And, and, and so, so, so gross was their negligence that there were times where they would even put to death the prophets of God. All because they did not want to hear the warnings that God was sending to them. But then in 586 B.C., Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, fell to Babylon after about nine months of being, being besieged by Nebuchadnezzar's forces. Prior to this, the rule of the day was internal strife and political intrigue, where there were factions that were calling for different responses to what was happening in the face of Judah, uh, Babylon's onslaught. Jeremiah, who was the prophet that God had raised, not only to speak to the nation of Israel, but also to Judah, had actually encouraged the, Israelite, the, Judah, the, the people of Judah to surrender to Babylon so that, so that Babylon would not destroy Jerusalem. But there were, the leader, there were those leaders who, who had the ear of the king who chose resistance instead. And the scripture tells us that when Jerusalem fell, the book of Lamentations became the expression on, behalf, on, 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 on Jeremiah's part to show um, his sorrow at what had taken place in that nation. And so we're going to read this morning Lamentations chapter 1, beginning in verse 7 to verse 9. Now, the reason I want to share this with you is because, again, we're talking about the importance of heeding God's warning. The phrase, give me eyes to see, is acknowledging that that we don't always know what we should know. And it is important for us to be made aware of the things that we don't know so that we don't make decisions or choices that will get us in trouble or will bring us into harm's way. Um, verse 7 to verse 9, this is Jeremiah expressing sorrow over what has just taken place to the people of Judah. In the days of her affliction, verse 7, and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers. Everybody say remembers. So it is as if Jeremiah is in the present acknowledging that as the people of Israel are going through their suffering because of 
what Nebuchadnezzar has done to ravage their city, their state, their nation, that for some reason now they're recalling. They're recalling what was. He says, they remember all her treasures that were hers since the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the adversary and no one helped her, the adversaries saw her. They laughed at her ruin. Jerusalem sinned greatly. Therefore, she has become an object of ridicule. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and she turns away. And verse 9, this is the key. Her uncleanliness, her uncleanness was in her garment seams. She did not think of her future. Did you see that? Jeremiah says that Israel, Judah, excuse me, is in the condition that they're in, the predicament that they're in, because at a time in their past, they failed to take account of the future. They thought they can live in sin, live in rebellion, and that the things that God said would happen as a result of the rebellion would never happen. But in the end, their present condition serves to remind them that God gave him opportunity to change. He goes on to say, So she has fallen in an astonishing way. She has no comforter. See, Lord, my affliction, for the enemy has honored himself. Jerusalem's downfall, Jeremiah was trying to make clear, not only to the audience then, but to us today, is this. That Jerusalem's downfall was a consequence of the people's rebellion. Jerusalem's downfall was not because God just abandoned them, God gave up on them, God stopped loving them. Their downfall was because of their rebellion. In the same way that as, as a parent or as a guardian, you and I would look at a young person that we, we see them making choices and decisions and we tell them, listen, what you're doing is not going to end well. The, the choices you're making is not going to take you in the right direction. It's going to bring you pain, it's going to bring you sorrow, it's going to bring you sadness. At the end of the day, if that individual chooses to continue to do what they've warned them not to do. It is, and then they find themselves having to now face the consequences of their decision. It is not the fact that the person who warned them didn't stand in the way of, what, of, 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 of their decision they took. It is be, that, 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 that state or that condition is because they chose to continue in rebellion. I want you to understand this morning, brother and sister, and this is, this is what I believe God was trying to communicate to you and I. And it's the idea that what awaits you and I on the other side of unrepented sin, friends, is neither God's best for you and I, nor is it in our own good, nor is it for our own good. At no point should we ever, ever think to ourselves that if I continue in unrepented sin, that somehow my situation won't be as bad as somebody else. It is to me like the situation with Mr. Grisham who thought, in spite of what the sign said, and of course the fact that he is not the first person who has ever tried to climb an electrical wire and lost their lives over it, thought that he could do the same thing and nothing would happen to him for doing so. Jeremiah said, Israel, Judah, did not think of her future. She thought that whatever it was that she was, she had inclined herself to do, rebelling against the will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God, that it would bring no consequence. And sometimes, I think even as Christians, we sometimes presume on the grace and mercy of God, we think that I, I can continue in sin, unrepented sin, sin that the Holy Spirit is calling to our attention, saying this is not going to lead you in the right direction. This is taking you from God's purpose for your life. This is not going to bring you into God's best. This is not for your good. But yet we think to ourselves, well, God loves me. 
God loves. God, God, would, never, God would never allow me to, to, be, to be judged. God would never allow me to deal with the consequences of my sin. Friends, that's not how it works. God makes it clear to you and I that we are to choose his way or we choose the other. So whatever the outcome is, it's not going to be because God just, God just foisted a, a, an outcome on, on us that we, that, that we were not involved in. No, it is because we chose to walk in rebellion. Never, ever, ever presume that unrepented sin will ever end well. As, uh, uh, if, if Jesus, how do I say this? When you think about Christ died on the cross, he paid with his life for our sins. That meant a lot. That, 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 that should drive home to you and I the gravity of sin. That it would take the Son of God dying on the cross to deal with sin. And yet we would think that we can play with sin and not get burned. That the Holy Spirit is cautioning us. He's calling to our attention things that we are doing that are not aligned with God's will for our lives. And we think that we can continue in it and expect God to bless us in spite of it. Let us never forget that there is a path that sin will take us and it is only to a life of emptiness and despair. And never assume that God is obligated to protect us when we have chosen to reject his will for our lives. I want to share with you very quickly steps that you and I can take to guard against going down the path of unrepented sin. The first is this. Sin, brothers and sisters, must be acknowledged for what it truly is. We need to learn to call sin what it is. Part of what we see in the world today, and it's not new, it's been like this for many, many, I guess probably all of human existence, is for humanity to try to redefine what God says is wrong. It is not our place to define what is right and wrong. There is only one who sets the standard, and that's God. And the standard he has set is crystal clear. And so for us to try to redefine what is right and wrong, what it points to is that we do not want to change. We don't want to acknowledge that sin for what it is. It is important for us to be willing to call sin out. And not just the sin in others, but the sin in my own life. That if the Holy Spirit is saying to me, John, this you're doing, this you're saying, how you're acting is not pleasing to God. It's not simply for information, brother and sister. It's for me to do something. To acknowledge that, indeed, Father, this is wrong. This is not your best. This is not your purpose, your plan, or your desire for my life. I want you to hear what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And I'm reading from the message translation. He says, if we claim that we are free of sin. In other words, if we suggest that that which acknowledges sin is not sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant, is, is errant excuse me, nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit, everybody say admit. And admit is another word for acknowledge. You're owning up to the reality of something. You're agreeing with truth. You're not questioning. You're not trying to, to redefine it. You're acknowledging truth is truth. And I'm not in alignment with truth. If we admit our sins, scripture says, we come clean about the sins. He won't let us down. In what way? God will be true to himself. He will forgive our sins. And he will purge us of all wrongdoing. So the reality is, friends, sin is sin. 
And so rather than think that it is our place to redefine what sin is, to placate our guilt, God says what we need to do with sin is to acknowledge it, call it out. And we don't call sin out for, for the purpose of condemnation. We call sin out for the purpose of rejecting sin. That's why we call sin out. We don't call it to, to point. Because here's the problem. If I, if, I, if I point out the sin in your life, there's plenty of sins you can point out in mine. Every one of us are a work in progress. We have not, we've not arrived. We're not perfect. So the issue isn't calling out each other's sin. The issue is, are we aware of the things that God says are wrong, do not belong in our lives, are not part of his will for our lives, his desire for our lives? And are we willing to say, God, I agree that does not belong in me. Because I don't, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. And so we must learn to acknowledge sin and call it out for what it truly is. That's how we, we, we guard against going down this path of unrepented sin, such as it was for the people of Judah. The second thing we need to do is, is, is seek daily instruction in the word of God. Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11, the psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testament of God is sure, makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. What the psalmist is saying to you and I is simply this, that God's word exists to provide instruction for you and I for how we are supposed to live. There is no greater resource that you and I can turn to than the word of God. There is no greater tool that God has made available to us than his word. And we must appropriate the word and utilize the word and, and apply the word to our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to show us how we apply it to our lives so that we live a life that is pleasing to God. And it become, the word itself becomes a guard against going astray. It becomes a guard against, against, against embracing ideas or ideology that may, on the surface, may seem right. But yet when you begin to dig deep, no, it is centered in self, not centered in God. So for us, if we are to set ourselves on the path toward guarding against unrepented sin, leading us to despair, emptiness, we must find in God's word the instruction we need to live for him. Number three, our actions must be consciously aligned with God's will. James 4.8 tells us in the voice translation to come close to the one true God and he will draw close to us. And then here's, here's where he, he, he takes us deeper in this sense of what we are called to do in response to um, those areas in our lives where God is calling out sin and asking us to do something about it. He says, wash your hands because you have dirtied them in sin. He says, cleanse your heart because your mind is split down the middle. Your love for God on one side and selfish pursuits on the other. In other words, what he's saying is sin is a choice. And in the same way we choose to sin, we can choose to reject a way of sin to follow him. But that requires us being consciously in our minds and in our hearts aligned with him. And we, we purpose in our hearts that God, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you no matter how hard it is. And can I tell you this? Following Jesus is not easy. Jesus himself said it, that if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves. But then he says, there's something called picking up our cross. A cross is not a light and it's not an ornament that you have hanging on your neck. The cross is supposed to symbolize that this walk following after Christ is a hard walk. It's a challenging walk in our flesh. 
but it is but by the Spirit of God working in us and helping us to live for Him. It, it is not the burden that it may seem to be. Living for Jesus doesn't have to be a hassle. It doesn't have to, to, to make you feel like you're missing out on, on, on the best of life. No. Following Christ is, is, the most, is the most important decision, the most fulfilling decision you and I can make. But in order for us to do that, we must consciously choose to align ourselves with Him. He says, wash your hands, cleanse your hearts, come close to God, and He will draw near to you. Our decisions, our choices, our actions must be consciously aligned with God's will. We must always ask ourselves the question, God, is this what you want for me? God, is this your will for me? God, is this the step you want me to take? God, is this going to honor you? Or is it simply about doing what I want because it's what's convenient for me? And here's the last thing before I conclude this message. Accountability, brother and sister, must be pursued in community with others. Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, Dear brothers, and of course he's including the sisters, he says, If a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, should gently and humbly help. Everybody say help. Help him back onto the right path. He doesn't say when your brother or sister strays or they fall that you call them out for not being a good Christian or that you make fun of them for falling short of, of Christ's calling and standard, that they're not good enough or that they don't deserve to be called a Christian or that we find a way to kick them out of our assembly. No, he says you help them back on the right path. Why? Because any one of us could stray. Any one of us could stray. And God, God forbid that any one of us strays and there's nobody to help. Because can I tell you this? The world's not going to help. The world doesn't have a clue what the right path is. So how do we expect the world to help a believer back onto the right path when the world doesn't even know what the right path is? We know what the right path is. And we're called to help each other to pursue the right path. Remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. Paul concludes by saying, share each other's troubles and problems. And in so doing, we are obeying Christ's command. To love one another as we love ourselves. One of the things that I, I lament about the story of the nation of Judah is this idea that what happened didn't have to happen. God's warnings had spanned generations. God didn't just warn them today and then judgment came the next day. God had been warning them for decades, for years, generations he had been warning. And for whatever reason, the people thought that whatever God says will happen if we continue in sin won't happen to us. It might happen to somebody else, it's not going to happen to me. And so I can continue in this path of unrepented sin. And somehow God is obligated because he's a God of love. He is obligated to protect me from the consequences of my sin. Friends, listen to me this morning. God's word is true. God's word is true. When you and I choose to honor his word, he will not lead us astray. But if we choose to not honor his word, brother and sister, we are setting ourselves up. It is as if we are setting a trap and the victim is me. We are setting a trap for ourselves. And while we can never ever imagine the idea of setting a trap for ourselves, that is what we are doing, brother and sister, when we are walking in unrepented sin and we are resisting the, the urging of the Holy Spirit to stop, to turn around, to change, to move in a different direction. 
Again, because we've bought into the lie that whatever has happened to others won't happen to me. God is saying to you and I, open your eyes. See. See the path I've called you to walk. Don't, don't, turn to, don't turn to the left or to the right thinking that, well, this looks good. Let me go this direction. No, this, this looks good. No. What is God asking me to do? Where is he asking me to go? What is the path he set before me? And I choose to walk in it. Because I know, I am confident that if I walk in his path, it will end well. It will end well. The same God that says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, is the God that invites you and I to walk with him every single day. To know that what he starts in us, he will finish. Where he, where, he, where he desires to take us to the end he's desired for us, he will take us there. If we will trust him, if we will follow his lead, and we'll allow him to lead us. If there is unrepented sin in your heart, brother and sister, you know what it is the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you about. It is time to come clean before your Father and say, Father, no more. Not going to make excuses for this. Not going to justify this in my life. Not going to suggest that your love is going to erase the consequence of my, my unwillingness to turn and repent. God, today it ends. And I will choose to live for you. I will choose to serve you. I will choose to walk with you. I challenge you to ask the Lord for courage and humility to take the necessary steps toward a lifestyle that honors Him. Again, follow the Holy Spirit's lead in calling out the sin in your life for what it is. See it as a deterrent to your growth in Christ. Let the truth of God's Word renew your mind and influence your thoughts. Be intentional about following the Spirit's lead as it directs your steps. And brother and sister, seek accountability by immersing yourself in community. And, and I would say to you, even beyond just what happens in this corporate gathering, brother and sister, is also what happens in our one-on-one -on -one interactions with others of like mind and like faith, where we can share our journey with the Lord and what God is doing in our lives, and we can encourage one another. That when I'm struggling in an area, I can call a brother and say, hey, brother, so, so please, please pray with me. Right now I'm going through a difficult, difficult stretch, and I'm not exactly sure what to make of this. I'm not exactly sure how to respond to this. And we know that when we call that brother, we call that sister, that like iron sharpens iron, they will sharpen us so that our, 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 our faith in the Lord is strengthened, our dependence on Christ is strengthened. That's the goal. That community helps me be a stronger Christian, a more effective Christian. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Christ, this is your opportunity to say, Jesus, I want more than just token encounter with you I want a relationship with you because here's the reality brother and sister I've walked with the Lord this year will be 20 years since I gave my heart to Christ it's not 20 30 years my math is wrong April 12 1994 was the year I gave my heart was the day I gave my heart to Jesus every single day I have learned more and more the importance of clinging to Christ I've learned that being a follower of Christ is not about me proving to him how, how good a Christian I am. It's about acknowledging, I need you, Jesus. I cannot live without you. Do I get it right every day? Far from it. But can I tell you this? I am confident that I can run to the Father and I can say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I have messed up today, God. Have mercy on me. I don't want anything to separate me from relationship with you. Have mercy on me. You can, you, can, you, can be, you can be able to you can experience that, that 
that intimacy with the, with the Father by choosing today to follow Christ. If you've not made that decision, this is your opportunity to say, Jesus, come into my heart and life.